Okay, well, this morning, uh, what God would have us to talk about this morning is, is uh, very, uh, it, uh, it goes with us and where we're all at in our own individuality. So I'm just going to read from Exodus, the 16th chapter, and then I'm going to read from Numbers, the 11th chapter. So we can see by the time we are in Exodus, the 16th chapter, God has delivered them, and which is a type of our position in Christ, but he has delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt for over 400 years. He's done that through, uh, through, the, uh, through the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, then he's delivered them in the midst and through the Red Sea. The sea would speak of judgment. He opened up the way for them to walk on the dry ground. The dry ground would speak of the salvation that is ours positionally in Christ. So between the two, we see the fact that Christ has died for us with those two types in Exodus, the 12th chapter and in Exodus, the 14th chapter. Now they are delivered out of Egypt, the world system, under the, under the reigning and rulership of Pharaoh, type of Satan. Now they're delivered from that positionally. Now they are in the world, and they're not of it, just like we are not of it. In John 17, verse 16, we are not of the world, because Christ, who is our life, in Colossians 3, and verse 4, he is not of the world, and never was, in John 17, and verse 14. And so now they are in the wilderness. They're on their way to their promised land. It's like us in the types. We've been delivered. And God is bringing out that truth about who Christ is, what he's accomplished, his person and what he's accomplished. And he's bringing that out in us experientially through, through the truth of our position. So now Israel is in the wilderness. They're in the world this worldly wilderness, but they're not of it. There's not a thing about them that's of it. And now they're in the midst of the world system, and they're, but they're on their way to their promised land like we have already been delivered. We're learning experientially all about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished in terms of propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation as we are on our way to our heavenly home in Hebrews 13 and verse 14, we don't have a continuing city here, but we seek one to come. And so we are on our way to our face-to-face -face meeting with Christ in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, which is beautifully brought out in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. So here we are, and we're going to learn and glean from the types here in Romans 15 and verse 4. And 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, we're going to glean from them. We're going to learn from what they went through. So now we're in the 16th chapter. In verse 1 it says, And they took their journey from Elam, and the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after their departing, out of the land of Egypt. These numbers are very significant. We won't go into them this morning. 
Verse 2, it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, we're going to see what this means, and we're going we're to understand it. Verse 3 says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. This is what we want to focus on. He's going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather a certain rate every day, each one, every single day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my teaching, my direction, my will or not, or not. Verse 5, And it will come to pass that on the sixth day they will prepare that which they bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel, At even, then you will know that the Lord has brought you forth from the land of Egypt, the world system. And in the morning, in the morning, this is our morning, the day dawning on us, in us and through us, in Second Peter 1, verse 19. And he said, in the morning, in the morning, then you will see the glory of the Lord. You see, that's what he wants us to see this morning. In the midst, sometimes, of our struggles, which many times are murmurings, they can be that. It can be those struggles. And for that, he hears your murmurings. And notice this against the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit was teaching the church as he teaches us this morning that in Philippians 2 12 and 13, in, in part of the struggle is this that God okay, is working out our salvation. He says, Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling, that will do away with murmuring, with a reverence and a trembling. For it is God which works in you, in you, both to will and to do, in terms of receiving his, his good pleasure, everything that he's done. And then when that happens, there's no murmuring. So you see this in Philippians 2, 12, 13. And 14. Now, so they were murmuring. And it was against the Lord. You see, he wants to show us that all murmurings is against the Lord. But of course, God is for us and will never be anything but for us in Christ in Romans 8.31 and Psalm 56 and verse 9. But it was against the Lord. And then, what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, this will be when the Lord will give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. Bread to the full. But that the Lord hears your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And you know murmuring is just, all murmuring is, is absolute doubt about the expressed, manifested, revealed will of God through his word to each of us. You murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. 
And Moses spoke unto Aaron, saying unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord. That's what we need to do. Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmuring. This is James 4, 6 through 10. But verse 8 of James chapter 4 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Then you will cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you will purify your hearts from being double-minded. Murmuring and, and many struggles are from being double-minded, meaning we, mix, we tend to mix our thoughts with God's thoughts. He gives us the word. So, for instance, God can give us a great week. He can, he can bring the word. He, he can bring the word into us. The word can pierce, can go into us. And this is the Greek word ice, E-I-S. And it goes into us and fills us up. And then there's got to be a separating, sanctifying process. And this is where the struggle comes in. And, and many times there's murmurings, but still the answer is to come to him and stop being double-minded. What makes us think that we have any thought that's true outside of Christ? In 1 John 5.20. What makes us think that any thought that we think is our own? You know, the enemy, through his deception, and he deceives us in Christ, when, in, in those that are in Christ, he, he deceives them, and he can deceive us just like he deceives the world in Revelation 12 and verse 9, and to, and to make us think that the thoughts that we're thinking are ours when they're his. Because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot, and I cannot, none of us can serve two masters in Matthew 6 and verse 24. We either cling to one and hate the other, or hate one and cling to him. And this was the battle. This was the battle. And many are in a battle. There's struggles. Many struggles. But you can see this. You can see it. These struggles, and many times, are the result of doubt and fears of the flesh that God so willingly and deeply wants to separate us from in our experience, because he's done so in us positionally in Christ. And so you can see that in the types, even in, in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. And so you can see Jacob as he's wrestling and he is in this struggle and he's wrestling and struggling with the Lord. And in that struggle, sometimes we struggle because the enemy still tries to convince us that these are our thoughts and this is who we are. And you know, Jacob, we all have that fleshly nature. And that fleshly nature is a supplanter, con man, manipulator, all these things that are in the flesh. And that's what he was struggling. And as a result, he had fear. And so Jacob, at that point, thought he had his fear, his fear was, was, was against Esau. No, it wasn't. That manifested it. Once he could deal, once he could deal with him, Jacob and his struggle, he caused him to be, he caused him to be through a change of character. We have that in Christ. This is 1 John 1 7. We're to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship one with another. And we continually experience the positional truth that cleanses us. It's based upon our position in Christ and it's dealing with our character. And so he's getting our experience to be equal to our position in him. And this is a struggle. And we're going to see that in the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, of which we'll go to 
in Numbers, the 11th chapter. The whole book of Numbers is bringing out conflict. This is part of our struggle, yet progress. Conflict, yet progress. And so here we see again, as we just continue to read here, he said, in verse 9 of number 16, And Moses spoke unto Aaron, saying unto all the congregation of the children of, the Israel, of Israel, Come near before the Lord. That's the answer. Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. He's heard all your struggles. He's heard all your doubts and all your fears. And he rules and reigns above them all. In verse 10, And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them saying at, at, at evening time you will eat flesh and in the morning you will be filled with bread you see he wants to fill us with bread from heaven this morning experientially so that we can continue to go forward in our journey because if we're not going forward, we go back. Just like Israel, wanted, uh, Israel, the, the Jews wanted to go back to Egypt. If we're not going forward in the struggle, we're going back. Speak unto them saying this, that I'm going to fill you with bread, and then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. Then you're going to know that I am Lord. I am sovereign above everything. It came to pass that at the evening the quails came up, covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there, there lay a small round thing, as small as the frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna. Listen. It is manna. Really what they're saying is, this is my portion. God has a portion for each individual this morning. And he wants to rain it down. He's raining it down. Each of us has a portion. Listen, that's why it says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation. The pastor doesn't do that any more than he can work out his own salvation. That's why he does not take on the struggles of others. He's not to do that. We, this is going to be brought out in, in, in the future, I believe, if God wills it, in First Peter 5, 1 through 10. We'll see how that works, even in the context of those that are those passive teachers. They said, it is manna, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said unto him, then this is the bread which the Lord has given you. To eat. And this is what God is giving us. What is the answer to our murmurings? Just draw near. Don't withdraw. Draw near. You know, faith is always this. Faith doesn't mean, and furthermore, faith never means, and faith dependence upon God, upon Jesus Christ and his person and what he's accomplished, never has to do with feelings or emotions. That means that I come to hear the word of God not based upon my feelings. What would we do if we only went by our feelings? Would anything ever get done? Would we ever go forward? Would we ever obey? Would we ever have joy? Would we ever experience his love? 
Faith doesn't have to do with feelings. Faith means whether I feel like it or not, I depend upon it. I depend upon his word, not my feelings or on my emotions or the struggles that I'm involved in. And that's what he said here. You're to feed on that bread. And that's what the answer to all the listen. Who is the one answer to every question, every doubt that we have? You know, Romans 14, 22 says, happy is the man. Who? The man in Christ who condemns not himself in the things that he allows. And, and then it says, and he that doubts is damned if he eat. God's not damning him. No. And he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith, not eating the manna. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And furthermore, the struggle can enter into James 4 and verse 17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Spend our life struggling in things we know to do and still don't do. That can be the reason for those struggles. And, and this can be true for all of us. Now we go to Numbers, the 11th chapter. And remember, the whole book of Numbers and the type is what we can learn and glean from as the church that we are in the world, but not of it. And in here, there's going to be conflict. This is Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, and into 18 and 19 in those prayers. But again, we are in conflict. But we have conflict, and that's a struggle. But there's always progress. Always. God always gives us grace, not sometimes. He's always waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18. And to grace us out upon and pour grace upon grace upon us in John 1 and verse 16, so that that love pours out on us without measure in Romans 5 and verse 5, and that flows into every circumstance, situation, and every single trial that we face. We never face anything without him. He's constantly leading us forward to our promised land. And here we are in Numbers, the 11th chapter. Numbers 11, verse 1. And this is very key for, for men that are initiators for, uh, for all of us, men and women, but for men that are initiators in any position of leading or being an initiator. So God created us in our particular image in Christ, and that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the head of every man is Christ. That's, he, Christ is the initiator, and he designed man in his image to initiate Christ, to be initiated to himself. And we see this in 1 Timothy 4, 14 to 16, and then initiating that, in teaching them spiritual warfare in others. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. So we see this again. Numbers 11, verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now, that's not going to happen to us. No, we're in Christ. He's going to lovingly discipline us in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and sometimes that can be very intense. It's unbelievable what, we, what, what God has to put us through just so we can be blessed with his love and his grace. You see, his love only can flow through grace. It can only flow through grace. That's why it says in James 4, 6, God resists the proud, the hooper of us, 
They put themselves in their struggles above every above God. They make, sometimes they make, and we make, sometimes we do make our struggles greater than God. And we put our struggles ahead of God, ahead of others, ahead of the cross, ahead of the body, ahead of the word, and our struggles. And we choose to live alone and live a very lonely life. And there's no need for it. There's none not for us in Christ. And so, and the people cried unto Moses. Notice that. Leaders, men, pastors, they cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. This is Acts 6 and verse 4. We need to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Knowing how to minister to the, minister the Lord and the word, the person of Christ and the Lord, and not ourselves. Not ourselves. This is 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. This is 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. We see it clearly in the scriptures here. We minister Christ. We don't glory. We don't teach men to glory in men or in our personalities. This is in 1 Corinthians 3 and 21. We don't glory in men, but we glory in the cross in Galatians 6 and verse 14. Then he called the name of the place, and notice what he called it. He called the name of that place. And it's very interesting here. He called the name of that place Tabara, burning, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell, what? Lusting. You see, in our struggles, if we don't go forward, we're not led by God's love through grace, then all we do is go back to the world. We lust. We have those lust patterns in the flesh. Those are brought out in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. They are brought out in Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 to 20. And they also are brought out in Mark chapter 7 and verse 14 to 23. They are brought out there, the lust of the flesh. And we will walk again experientially under the lust of the, our flesh. First father, which was Satan in John 8 and verse 44, instead of going forward. You know, many times we struggle, and that's what God is separating. Lust patterns in us. Strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. These reasonings, these thoughts that aren't his in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. And they need to be cast down. And that's what, when the manna comes down, it's his casting these down. We feed on him. We no longer feed on the lust of the flesh. Doubt, fear, feelings that don't have anything to do with the initiation and thought life, of, thought life of God through Jesus Christ. The mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, which we did eat freely in Egypt. Was it free? Was it free that they were feeding on? Was it free? It was absolute bondage. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all. Nothing at all. Oh, how the enemy tries to convince the believer in Christ. Nothing changes from one place to the other. Nothing changes. And he tries to project nothing at all. But besides this manna, notice this, besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was 
was as coriander seed, and the color thereof was as the color of bedellum. And the people went about and gathered it. Notice that? They had to gather it. They had to get up early to do so. Instead of laying in bed, struggling, and being content to struggle. <laughs> this is so important for us to hear, all of us together, to hear the word of God. The people went about and gathered it and ground it. Notice, they ground it into mills, and they beat it into mortar, and they baked it in pans, and they made cakes of it. And the taste of it was the taste of fresh oil. And this is a beautiful picture. The oil here, the manner is Jesus Christ. The oil is God, the Holy Spirit, who takes the things of Christ, and he's teaching us in everything we do, this is what we're to do. We're to, we're, to, to, we're to gather it. We're to ground it in mills, not just for ourselves, but for others. And, and, and to beat it, masticate it, assimilate it into us, into a mortar and bake it in pans. And this speaks of meditation in Psalm 39, uh, 1 through 5, specifically, specifically verses 3 and verse 4 of that 39th Psalm. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. We need fresh oil. We need fresh understanding experientially. For God the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13 and 14 takes the word of God, takes the things of Christ, his person and the work that he's accomplished, and he shows it unto us. And instead of hungering and feeding on the things of the world, the lust patterns, we can feed on the very love of God through the grace and truth that Christ is in John 1 and verse 14. And in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You can see these things clearly. And it says in Psalm 34 and verse 2, the humble will hear thereof and be glad. This again is James 4, 6 through 10. And this, this is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Again, the humble will hear thereof. And then they'll be glad because there's joy in the presence of, of God through Jesus Christ in John 16 and verse 11. Because we set uh, we set his face before us. We know ourselves after his face and not the face of the old man. And, and we see this in Psalm 16 and verse 8. And in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's your goodness. He's leading you out of this world system. He's constantly separating the world from us and our experience and making more room for Christ in us in Colossians 3 and verse 16, and we have the privilege to let the word of Christ dwell in us, find a home in us. Find a home in us as he leads us to our true home and our promised land, the type of Canaan, but our promised land in heaven. In verse 9, and when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Mo and Moses also was displeased. Now watch this. Men, leaders, initiators, pastors, listen. Look at what it says. And I'm going to look at it with you and learn and glean with you. And Moses said unto the Lord, Why have you afflicted me, your servant? And wherefore... Have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people upon me? You see, false burden, false need, flesh. Have I conceived all this, all this people? Have I begotten them that you should say unto me, carry them in your bosom? Truthfully, where are we carried? Where is Christ? Where did he come out of? 
in John 1, 1 and 2, came out of the bosom, the most place of the most intimate, affectionate exchange of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. Have I begotten them? Do I carry them in my bosom? Does the pastor, does the husband do that? Does the leader do that? No, of course not. As a nursing father bears the sucking child, read Isaiah, the 40th chapter, about the sucking child, unto the land where you swore unto their fathers, where should I have flesh to give all this people? I can't do it, God. I don't have it. What else is new? <laughs> For they weep unto me, do they? Saying, give us flesh that we may eat. I, look at what he said. And this is what he's saying to us this morning. I am not able. <laughs> Pastors, initiators, men, women, we're not able. I am not able to bear all this people alone. Who's the bear, burden bearer? Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord. You have to do that. Individually, that's part of Philippians 2, 12, and 13, working out your own salvation, your whole Christian life. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. That's a promise. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him, your anxiety, your struggles, for he cares for you. The enemy says, no, he doesn't. God says, yes, I do, and I've proven it. I've given you my son, and I'm raining down that manna. And guess where it's from? It's from heaven. It's from heaven, where Christ came down. You see that in Ephesians 4 and verse 9, beautifully. Brought out in that type of the manna. In John the 6th chapter, starting in the 30th verse, right to the 58th verse there. He said, Moses said, I am not able to bear all these people alone. Notice this, I can't do it alone because it is too heavy for me. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain you. Teach others to do so because we are not their burden bearers. We are not any more than we're our own burden bearers. We're not. I'm not able to do it. It's too heavy for me. Lay aside, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, lay aside every weight, not just your own, but theirs. Yes, we take them, but we bring them, and we have to present ourselves with our burden, our burdens and theirs and place them where they belong, at Jesus' feet. Right at Jesus' feet. So we don't get overwhelmed, not only with our burdens, but theirs. And they overwhelm us, and they disturb and distract us from this intimate love life exchange that should flow through us as leaders and initiators into others. It's too heavy for me. Lay aside every weight in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And the sin which does so easily beset you. Because if you don't, we, we try to take our own burdens, what does it lead to? We all know that, doesn't it? In some measure, it leads to sin or lust. And what about others? We take others' burdens upon us, what was it what they're going to lead to? It leads, it's too heavy, it's going to lead to sin. Now to him that knows to do good, and he's teaching us this morning what we should do with our burdens and others. In James 4 and verse 17, he that knows to do good, what is it good? Give him the burdens. This is Acts 6, verse 4. We will give ourselves the prayer, teaching us dependence about 
our own struggles, when the struggles of others. And as we go before God as leaders, he'll give us the word. We will know how to minister Jesus Christ to them, the head, their head, of, this bo- of the body of the local assembly. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 1, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you, and that's so that you can run with patience, this is love, in the midst of the struggle, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, that you can run with patience, and with patience comes love, with love comes wisdom. We see this in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We have that wisdom. That wisdom is Christ himself. Read in Proverbs the 8th chapter and start in verse 20 and go right down to the 36th verse. And that wisdom is Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. You will have power and wisdom, and that's Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. And then you'll be kept by the power of Christ. We can't keep them any more than we can keep ourselves. 1 Peter 1, 5, they're kept by the power of God. They're kept by the power of God. And this is the trial in 1 Peter 1, 7. That's a struggle. Okay, and how do we know them? How do we know them when what they're going to? How do we have to know ourselves? Through our struggles? No, we know ourselves in Christ through the midst of all the struggle. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's all it is for the believer. I know you're with me in Psalm 23 and verse 4. And then when I know that and I feed on Christ in the midst of the trial, which is common to all in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, and then our supernatural ability we receive from Christ who is our source through the word of God, we have a place to land. And so that we can stand up as men. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, we can, we can quit and stand like men. We can stand like men. When we do, we'll do all things. We stand before him. We don't put struggles before him. We put him before our struggles. Because Jesus has gone through it. Everything in Hebrews 4 and verse 14 to 16, we have a high priest who can be touched by the feeling of all our infirmities, all our struggles, all these things, because he took them upon himself on Calvary. And then we lead others as we are being led. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Follow Christ in me. That's what he was saying in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He wasn't saying follow a man. Furthermore, when he said in Acts 20 and verse 24, I don't count my own life dear unto myself that I might finish my course on the ministry which God has given me. But in the finality of it, in Acts 20 and verse 32, he said, I commend you to God. This is what the preaching and teaching. We don't commend them to ourselves. We commend them to God. Listen in what it says. And the word of his grace, that's Christ. And the word of his grace, which is able to build you up edify you on that foundation that Christ is. And then, so that you can experience that. Now you become a joint that supplies. Because you need to get up in the morning and take your portion, not just for yourself, obviously for Christ's glory, for your blessing as you do it, but for the blessing of others. And then that Psalm 23 and verse 5, yea, my cup overflows. I have an abundant life. Oh, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not living by those doubts anymore, those lies, those evil lusts that cause shame in 2, Timothy, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 1. We lay aside those things. No more. No, no, no more. No more. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which, is, which so easily 
He sets you and entangles you in the struggle, keeps you in the struggle. No, look unto Jesus, looking away from all that distracts, unto Jesus, the author, the file leader of your faith. The one that declares your end from the very beginning in eternity in Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning in Acts 15 and verse 8. And those are what he's working out in us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And when we reverence him and see him and taste him and sense how incredible he is, oh, that will do away with the murmuring and the hands that get dirty getting involved in other things that we should not be involved in that cause us to be double-minded. And you know, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, not some, all. The little leaven leavens the whole lump. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 9, and Galatians 5, and verse 6. We see that crystal clear. So, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, because I would like to leave some, some time if, if there are any uh, questions and comments, lay aside and looking away in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, your dependence, because even that's not of ourselves in Ephesians 2 9. It's a gift of God. He's gifted us based upon the life that Christ is in us to be constantly dependent upon his love that flows through grace. And that's what our taste is. We don't want to taste, go back and taste those leeks and onions and garlic and, and which represent all those lusts of the flesh in the bondage under the enemy that the enemy says, listen, you can go back. You can go back and I'll take care of you. No, we cast all our care upon him for he cares for us. Moses said, as we close in Numbers 11 and verse 14, he said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone. No, that's why we need the body of Christ. We all need, we all have a portion. That's brought out in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. We all have a portion. And we function properly when we take in the word of God. When we get up in the morning and take the word in. Take it into us and consume it. He said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. It's not too heavy for Christ who did it all. And if you deal with me thus, he said, kill me. Huh? You know what? I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I beseech you out of hand. If I have found favor in your sight, look what he said. And this is what he's teaching Moses. And let me not see my wretchedness. That's what happens. That's what happens when we think we have to do anything for people. Because the only way we can do it apart from Christ is the wretchedness of the flesh. That's the lesson that we as leaders, as pastors, as leaders, as initiators, as women for their children, we have to learn these things. And that's how it works. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. We have to understand these things and learn these things. Now you're in Romans, the seventh chapter. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 24. The works of the flesh, you see it. I know that's in me. Dwells no good thing. Yeah, the struggle. I, when I don't look to him, I look within. What do I see? Oh, wretchedness. There's no good in me, in Romans 7, 18. I try to perform in 7, 21. And then I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Then fi the finality of that is, oh, what? A wretched man that I am. How am I going to deal with all the wretchedness of their struggles, never mind my own?
It's too heavy for me. Let me not see my wretchedness. <laughs> trying to do something, Moses, trying to do something that only Christ could do as he was their leader, his leader in theirs. And the Lord said unto Moses, in verse 16 of Numbers 11, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel. They're not neophytes. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6, they're well-seasoned individuals whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers, leaders, guides over them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with you. See, he's to come, the leader's to come, and he's to bring them with him. Where? That's why the Bible teaches us in the local assembly, the pastor's not the head. Christ is the head. Yes, he may use the pastor, and he does in Ephesians 4.11, to teach others. And he and in Ephesians 4.12, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the saints. We all have a portion. We all do. This is what he said, that they may stand there. Our standing, this speaks of our position. We are standing in Christ. This is Romans 5, 1 and 2. We stand in him positionally. He's bringing it into our experience. We have, and that standing has to do with complete dependence upon what's been finished so that we experience the reality of it and have a true image and a true form. And not being conformed to this world as Christians, that are positioned in Christ. And that's why we have to present our bodies, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, that just might mean coming to hear the word of God. We need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is only our reasonable service, so that we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed into the very image of who Christ is in us individually, so that we become a portion that glorifies God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're blessed and then we become a portion and a blessing for others. Verse 17, And I will come down and talk with, with you there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon you, notice how this is, and will put it upon them. This is a type of, of Christ, obviously. And they will bear the burden of the people with you. Men need men. And we need each men and women functioning in their proper place. We do, as portions. And they will bear the burden of the people with you, that you bear it not yourself alone. He never called us to do anything alone. Never did. That's the principle of the body. And you will say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves tomorrow, and you will eat flesh. For you have wept in the, in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who will give us flesh to eat? For it is well with us. It was well with us in Egypt, was it? Was it well for any of us in the world system? And therefore the Lord will give you flesh to eat, and you will eat. You will do it, and we will see it. And God has this for us, and we'll see it again, uh, possibly uh, on, on uh, one of these days. Possibly we'll get into the fulfillment and the fullness of this type as we see it in, in John, the sixth chapter. You know, they're like the, and you'll see here, and we're going to close with this. In John, the sixth chapter, he was the manna that came down. 
Christ is the antitype that came down. Can a man receive anything except it come from heaven? Will you receive it? Will you come and hear the word of God? Or will you choose to live by your own will? Will you choose to go where you think you need to go? Or where God has led you? Does God change his mind? I really don't think so. But in John the 6th chapter, and we're going to close, verse 30, it says, And they said unto him, What sign do you show? You know, like we need some kind of a sign. Meaning God has to prove himself again to us that he's faithful, that he's true, that he loves us. We have to prove it through doubt, through questions and doubts and fears and worries. And we all do that. We're getting separated from that in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. So that in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, we can take the sword of the Spirit in the midst of warfare. Take the sword of the Spirit, our offensive weapon in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, and cut the flesh constantly and be circumcised in spirit and be led by Christ. And they said, what sign do you show? And there he is right before them. And here is Jesus Christ evidently crucified right before our face. This is Galatians, the fifth chapter. This is Galatians, the third chapter. Oh, who has bewitched you that you should stop obeying the truth? When Christ was portrayed through the preaching and teaching that his person and the work, he was so glorified God and propitiation becomes your substitute. What will you substitute for him? And that he's your, the measure of your reconciliation. Who's bewitched you so that you should stop obeying the truth? The sign was right there, Christ. He said that we may see and believe what do you work? And they said, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven, and there he is right before them. Then said Jesus unto them, truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you that, not that bread from heaven. No, no, the pastor didn't give you that. No, he did not. No, he did not. We do not live off of one another. Many want to live in their struggle off the faith of another. You're not, you're not, you can't do that. Many want to have the peace that others have and seek to live off of them. And when they don't have it, they go back into the world and they seek riches and all these other things. And if you want to know what happens about that, read the book of Ecclesiastes and read, start in verse chapter 1 and go right through to the 12th chapter. We're going to close. No. Moses didn't give you that bread from heaven. Pastor didn't give you that bread from heaven. No, he didn't. He's teaching men in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, how to be soldiers, to be led by Jesus Christ. Moses didn't give you that bread from heaven. No, but my father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which came down. This is Jesus. What a picture. In John 1 and verse 14, he came down from heaven to give his life unto the world. And he's given it to us. He's already our life. And he's separating in our experience whatever is not of him. This is his loving chastisement. In Proverbs 3, 10 and 11, in Hebrews chapter 4, those 29 verses in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And Father, we thank you for your love. Once again, as you come down, to feed us with manna from heaven. We're going to constantly feed on him. 
We're going to look away from all that distracts, everything that keeps us from Jesus Christ, whatever it is that keeps us in some form or measure, and God will make it available to us, that word that we so deeply need. Everything about the Bible, in terms of our growth here, is early in the morning. I, I cannot stress it enough. It is early in the morning. Before, that, before we get out of bed and our big toe hits the floor, got to be his word in some fashion, some form that he, he and he knows where he can give it to us. And Father, we are so thankful for that. Thankful for your love. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt association. There's no accusation. None of it in your precious love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.